Coming up on the Rami Levy podcast this weekend is All-Star Weekend. We give you the top storylines in the NBA as we hit the second half or really the last third of the NBA season. Also, we give you what might be the top storylines in the NFL this offseason. A lot of quarterback movement is expected. And we remember the legendary broadcaster and baseball player Tim McCarver. All that and more coming up next on the Rami Levy podcast. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La V podcast, episode 137 of the Rami La V podcast. We're going to do it a little different today, uh, maybe radio style, I guess. I have a bunch of clips I do want to play uh, that I listen to throughout the week. Some stuff that I stumbled upon as I was working at the fan this week. Um, it's Friday, by the way. Today is Friday, so it's the Friday episode, Friday, February 17th, as I'm recording this. I hope I get it out in time. I was just uh, recorded on another podcast today, so uh, joined someone else on their podcast, so that's fun. I do love doing that. Um, so if anyone wants to have me on their podcast, feel free. Just hit me up, and I'll, I would love to come on. Um, I wanted to start because uh, this is something that I think as a broadcaster and something that I'm trying to do in my career is be a broadcaster, whether that means hosting a talk show or, um, you know, doing play by play broadcasting in sports. I think there's a certain responsibility that you have to do justice to, I guess the, um, the history of broadcasters and kind of remember the great ones and stuff like that. And so Tim McCarver passed away yesterday and I was actually, it was one of those moments where I was uh, producing a show and I got into the a, the host's ear and I had to say to him and I get on the mic and I'm like, Tim McCarver just died. And it wasn't one of those things that you ever want to do, you ever want to be a part of, uh, but it was just a, 
it was a sad moment when I saw it. Like my heart sank a little bit because I was, you know, Fox, all the biggest games, right? He was on with uh, with Joe Buck. That's what I remember him from. Obviously, uh, Yankees and Mets fans remember him as the Yankee and Met broadcaster. But of course, I, you know, I'm not that old. So I remember him on the big Fox games and doing the World Series. And so I think, you know, just honoring his memory is important. And I just wanted to share this. Uh, this was in 2013, I guess this is the last World Series that he did before Smoltz, John Smoltz took over for him. I just wanted to um, play this one clip uh, for you guys so that you could hear uh, just something, just one moment from this guy. You could see the type of broadcaster he was. 34 years ago, my obligation shifted from the field and the players to the booth and to you, the viewers. Fairness and accuracy and honesty have always been my goals, along with teaching you something you may not have known about this great game. I hope I've achieved those things. It was a little bit interesting because, I don't know, maybe I'm the only person, but I do think about mortality from time to time. I think that's normal. And when I got in the ear of the host to tell him, I kind of almost had this thought like, you know what though? Like it's sad, but I hope one day someone cares enough that a random person who never met me in Baltimore, Maryland will get in the ear of whoever's hosting sports talk radio or whatever they have at that point, hopefully many, many years from now um, and says, Oh my God, Rami Levy just passed away or whatever. And I was like, you know what? That's that that's uh, if, if my career can get to that point, it kind of sounds kind of crazy, but that just means that he inspired a lot of people. He touched a lot of people and that's kind of the platform that he was given and he created for himself as both as a baseball player and as a broadcaster that even someone like me who never saw him play baseball and really only saw the tail end of his broadcasting career. Um, he's in his eighties and I, I was still kind of moved emotionally um, when I heard that he passed. So I didn't want to give him the proper respect. Um, also quick hard left turn. It's kind of watching. I've been getting like watching the nets a little bit <laughs> because Ever since they got rid of Durant and Irving, like I kind of want to buy a KD Nets jersey, like that one with like the colorful thing on it, like the Nets, like where it has like kind of like that when they wear those, like I don't know, it's like multicolored. I don't really know how to describe it any other way, but kind of like maybe it's just a troll, maybe just to troll Net fans. That's why I kind of want to buy a Nets jersey now. But I thought about that. I was like, I, I could really go for a uh, Kevin Durant Nets jersey. Um, one more thing from the Super Bowl, and I don't remember where I heard this. So this could be that it was someone totally trolling and it was like totally fake news and this is wrong. But when I heard it, I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I kind of like that. So if this is terrible and if you are you know football well and you're like, yeah, that, that makes no sense, then call me out on this one. But something that I thought of or that I didn't think of that I heard about the Super Bowl, and this is the last, I'm, I actually have one more point to make about the Super Bowl, but this is something that I heard about the Super Bowl and it was like, it clicked and I was like, oh my God, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. I heard someone say that James Bradbury should have been coached, just like Jarek McKinnon went down at the one yard line. Bradbury should have been coached that if you get beat, let them beat you, let them score a touchdown. The only thing that can hurt the Philadelphia Eagles in that spot, the spot obviously where James Bradbury held, was a hold. And I was thinking about it yesterday because... um. Brian Baldinger, we had him on the show yesterday, and he was talking about how, you know, it was definitely a hold, but they weren't calling it. There were a few previous plays that Bradbury definitely held, and they didn't call those. So Bradbury probably just thought that, like, I could keep holding and I'll keep getting away with it. 
But Bradbury knew as a hold. He knew he got beat. And he so he grabbed. And he grabbed twice. There were actually two grabs. And the second grab is what everyone's like, oh, that's not a hold. But I think the first grab was what it really slowed Juju Smith-Schuster down. So when I watch it, I'm like, yeah, there's definitely a hold there. And he knew what he was doing because he got away with it a couple of times. But in that spot, the only thing you can't do is hold because a hold gives them a first down. If they score a touchdown and they go up by seven and now you have a minute 54, the way you were carving up the Chiefs defense, you trust your quarterback. Go down and tie the game. At least tie it. Maybe send it to overtime. The only thing you couldn't do was give up a touchdown, was give up a first down there. The first down was worse than the touchdown for them. And I know this because later when they had the opportunity to score the touchdown, the Chiefs decided not to score the touchdown. And so that have been, should have been something that was made clear and coached to the players that like, if you get beat here, do not commit a penalty. The worst thing you can do is commit a penalty. That's the only thing that can kill us. And that's kind of like an interesting thing that I don't know. That's, that's a weird, I, I heard that somewhere. Maybe that's way off. Maybe that's way off base. And I know instinct is you got beat. You're going to try and catch up on the route. Um, and so you're going to grab and, you know, maybe the thought is also that, well, if I don't hold, how I know that they're going to get into the touchdown. Maybe they just pick up a, t- a first down here because he beat me. Yeah, I guess there's all these different factors to it. You don't want to get beat. Um, but Juju Smith, like if that's a touchdown there, then at least we get that last drive for Philadelphia and for Jalen Hurts to come back down um, and attempt to tie the game. Speaking of broadcasting, because I mentioned broadcasting earlier, I thought Burkhardt and Olsen did an awesome job. Um Kevin Burkhart was really good. They were fun. They were funny. They weren't tight. They treated it like they gave it the proper respect and magnitude that the game deserved because it is the Super Bowl and there are so many tens of millions of people watching that more than usual and there's more casual fans watching. All those things are true and I think they handled that perfectly, but they also were knowledgeable and didn't step on the game and just did a great job and I did want to point that out because I was one of the people who before the game was like, I'm going to miss Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I really am because I think Joe Buck is the best in football today. And I think their chemistry and the way they've grown over the last few years, and I think they've gotten so much better. And I hope that Joe Buck is back doing I think he should be doing Sunday Night Baseball for, for ESPN also. But again, that's not up to me. Maybe one day it will be, but right now it's not up to me. Um, and I thought they did an exceptional, exceptional job, uh, a really good job by uh, Kevin Burkhardt and, and Greg Olson, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. But it got me thinking, like, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman left Fox because they got paid a ton of money by ESPN. And I know ESPN had been trolled for their disastrous booths that they've been putting together for Monday Night Football for years. Um, So I understand. I do understand why ESPN felt the need to do that. But even like CBS paying Tony Romo the money they paid him, like all these broadcasters or Amazon paying what they paid for, uh, for Al Michaels. I wonder, is there anyone who's going to turn off the Super Bowl and not watch it and be like, oh, I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl this year. Joe Buck's not doing it. Yeah, I didn't think so. So again, is it worth the investment? No one's turning off the Super Bowl. No one's not watching it. Like if somebody wants to watch the game, like, yes, I've muted games. I think I'm different than most people where I've muted games. If I don't like the broadcast, if I don't like the broadcaster, I still do it sometimes. If Reggie Miller's on, on TNT, I kind of mute the broadcast. No offense. Like it's not very good. It's not enjoyable to listen to. Um, but yeah, I, again, I, I don't know many people who 
will turn off a broadcast or turn on a broadcast just solely based it's really turn on like is there someone are you gaining an audience because you have certain broadcasters and so i think fox made the right decision ultimately and they lost two of the best broadcasters but they gained a broadcast team that's actually really good and olsen and burkhart congrats to them because they did such an awesome job uh and a really really fun job on the super bowl um also speaking of espn did you know that espn did a companion broadcast for certain like places that were outside of the country there was a separate broadcast i guess places that don't get fox got an espn broadcast of the game no i didn't know that either kind of weird right they did not use buck and aikman because i definitely would have pirated that they used like um dan or don or uh dan orlovsky i think maybe um and a bunch of other people like people that they have uh so yeah i didn't feel the need to go um listen to that broadcast or that version of the broadcast the espn version uh but it's kind of just funny anecdote that i didn't know that they had uh their own separate broadcast of the game so now it's the nfl offseason that officially puts a wrap on the super bowl that's the last i'm going to speak of it as as of now who knows what might change in the future but the offseason begins and there are all these storylines and today Derek carr is visiting with the new york jets he's officially a free agent Aaron Rodgers is in a darkness retreat. Who knows what's going to happen with him? He may decide to come out and then he's going to shake up the world and decide where he wants to go. And then the Packers have to trade him and all those different things. And Lamar Jackson is going to be franchise tagged. And with the Lamar story, I don't blame either side. Look, I've gotten to a place where I don't blame the Ravens for not giving him a fully guaranteed contract, for not wanting to give him the Deshaun Watson deal, for not wanting to give a guy who's been hurt the last two years more guaranteed money than anyone else before him. I do blame them for not getting the deal done a couple of years ago. That's true. But I also don't blame Lamar Jackson for looking around and looking at Kyler Murray and saying, I'm better than him. Looking at Russell Wilson and saying, I'm better than him. Looking at Deshaun Watson and saying, well, he didn't win MVP and I wasn't accused of doing the terrible things that Deshaun Watson was accused of doing and I've never been suspended. So I don't blame him for looking around and saying, I deserve more and I'm worth more. And if I'm Lamar Jackson, I would never play on the salary franchise tag. He's not going to play on the franchise tag, especially if you consider the injuries he's had the last couple of years. Why should he play on the franchise tag? So from Lamar Jackson's perspective, I get it too. So I kind of understand where both sides are coming from in this scenario, but it's created a standstill. It's created a kind of just a standoff where both sides of the party are going to be on either side and I don't think I don't see either side giving in and what's going to get worse is that Jalen Hurts is about to get a huge contract and Adam Schefter reported that's going to be north of 45 million dollars a year and I don't know if Hurts's contract changes because of how bad the Russell Wilson contract looked and how bad the Kyler Murray contract looked and so I don't know if the guaranteed money gets better after year three, you're locking him up earlier also than those guys. So maybe the guaranteed money is less and it's more annual dollars, more amount that, like I said, 45 million a year is a crazy number. But I'm curious to see how that contract plays out and if that makes any effect one way or another in the Lamar Jackson contract situation. I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't be too confident still if I'm the Ravens that they can get a deal done uh, with Lamar Jackson. That makes sense. Also, there were rumors about the offensive coordinator having or Lamar Jackson having say in the offensive coordinator and him being in on the meetings. Todd Munkin was all ultimately hired. I 
did say that was going to be the hire for the Ravens. It was the hire for the Ravens at the offensive coordinator spot. I think he was the best option available. I would have taken him as a Jets OC, but I thought the Jets, what they needed at this point in their franchise was experience. The Ravens obviously don't need that. They have a very experienced staff, obviously, led by John Harbaugh. But now the rumor is that they told Munkin that we can't guarantee that Lamar Jackson is going to be here long term and going to be the quarterback for this franchise. So where do they go from here? Is the Justin Fields rumors as well? Is Justin Fields going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? I've seen that go back and forth. Is that an option for the Ravens? Is Lamar Jackson going elsewhere? Where are the best odds for Lamar Jackson to land? And actually, as of today, the best odds for Lamar Jackson's landing spot is the New York Jets at plus 230 to get Lamar Jackson. Um, they actually have the second best odds on the on the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes right now as the Raiders have the best odds there. But there's all these different options, right? Still the same options, whether it's the Raiders, whether it's Carolina, whether it's the Saints, who are both obviously rumored for Derek Carr right now and heavy favorites, the Saints and Carolina, heavy favorites to get Derek Carr. So it's going to be a fun offseason of quarterback carouseling and there's the draft, there's free agency, there's going to be a lot going on in this NFL offseason, and the Jets are right in the middle of it, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are right in the middle of it, but it's really feel like, feels like it's starting to heat up now with the deadline for the salary, uh, I keep saying salary, but the deadline for um, the franchise tag coming up, Aaron Rodgers coming out of his darkness retreat with his answer for what he wants to do, and uh, Derek Carr visiting this week with the Jets, he obviously already visited uh, with the Saints, I'm assuming he's going to go visit with Carolina as well, and it's going to be interesting. Elsewhere in Denver, um, this is a big story. Obviously, we hear Sean Payton is assembling his coaching staff. He's already said he's not going to have Russell Wilson's personal quarterbacks coach on the team, so it really seems like he's setting boundaries. But one of the guys he does want on his coaching staff is Rex Ryan. He wants Rex Ryan to be an assistant head coach or the defensive coordinator even um, for the Denver Broncos, which is going to be fun. I'm a big Rex Ryan guy. It's going to be a lot of personality on that team. Uh, that'll be fun to watch. But one guy who might be gone is Jerry Judy. We talk about the wide receivers being traded. And I guess Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, those trades came out of nowhere. We know about DeAndre Hopkins. He's probably going to get moved this offseason. Another name to watch would be Jerry Judy. Speaking of coordinators, though, and coordinator jobs, a guy who is rumored to be taking the coordinator job in D.C. he interviewed today is Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, the story keeps getting weirder and weirder. And I do want to play this because this is what Sean, LaShawn McCoy, who had a brief stint uh, in Kansas City, this is what he had to say about Eric Bieniemy and why he hasn't been hired yet as the offensive coordinator. And the reason why I finished is because me and the coordinator, didn't, we had a difference about different things, right? And I'm going to say this. It's the reason why every year they keep hyping him up to get a, a coaching job, a head coach or office coordinator job Ooh. from everywhere else, and you don't get one because he's the, talking about Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, and the players. You're bringing this up now when we got a minute to tell the truth. Listen, <laughs> because some players, right, he talks to them a, a certain way, and some players would take it. I wouldn't take it. Like, whoa, you know, and that's some question I would ask. Everybody's accountable. Yeah. That's why it's not because he's a black coach. That's not the reason. The reason that because he, I won't get into that, but I'll say this. You can't, you it's, can't say you, the, the, the reason. I mean, yeah, what got, we got one minute, but it's the reason why that every year they hype him up to get a job. 
And then when the time comes, nobody hires him because they know what type of coach he really is. So you're saying Eric B. Enemy was the why you stopped playing in Kansas City? Yeah, come on, man. That's wow. They knew what it was. I'm going to throw out some theories because I don't know. And I don't think that what LaShawn McCoy said is true. That sounds like crazy talk. That sounds like someone who's spiteful, who has a personal gr- axe to grind with Eric Bieniemy, because no one has said that about Eric Bieniemy. And it's that's tough. That's harsh, what LaShawn McCoy just said. But I still think that there's something going on here. There's more than what we know. He's probably bombing interviews. And I don't know if he's bombing interviews because... The owners are old white men who see an African-American walk into the room and they just can't relate to him. They can't talk to him. I don't know if he's bombing interviews because I want to stay on Andy Reid's staff because why not? I'll just keep riding it out in Kansas City and eventually I'll get the reins to the team. I'll be the head coach. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Maybe he's bombing the interviews because Andy Reid calls all the plays and Patrick Mahomes is magical and he's actually not that good. He's not that great of an offensive coordinator. He's just been blessed to be under Andy Reid and have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. There's a bunch of reasons. I I don't know. I don't know the answer, but it's definitely a weird situation and a curious case. And I wonder if at all what LaShawn McCoy said is true. I I don't know. It, It feels, it seems hard to fathom. Last thing on the NFL, um, is the Calvin Ridley update. There was an update that he can officially apply for reinstatement. And maybe you didn't know this because I didn't know this, um, that it was a year minimum and he now has to apply for reinstatement. That doesn't guarantee that he's going to be reinstated. Now, I hope he does and I hope he gets reinstated and that'll make uh, that Jacksonville Jaguar team that he'd been traded to even more dangerous and scary. That'll be fun to watch. Here's why it was such a, a crazy punishment. Because his argument is he served more than the time than he should have served. Obviously, he didn't do something half as bad as what some of the players do. We get all that. But the thing is, is that, yes, while maybe what Deshaun Watson and what other players especially do is worse and way worse and far, far worse than what Calvin Ridley did. But the NFL had to set an example. With all the jokes now about the league being scripted and blah, 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 we know it's a joke. But if there's ever an ounce of of truth if there's ever an ounce of a feeling that what you're watching on sunday is not a hundred percent real that maybe some outside factor including a player gambling on it even if he's not in the game has any kind of effect on the game itself and the competitive balance of the game the nfl and any professional sports league cannot have that that cannot happen and so they had to take serious action and calvin ridley was suspended for a year minimum And it could be longer. I hope it's not, but it could be longer because they needed to make an example out of him. And so I haven't wavered on that. Is it worse than any of these things that some of the players do? No, it's not worse. Is the suspension a way more strict and heavy suspension and him having to apply for reinstatement seems crazy? Yeah, it does. But understand why they did that and why they had to do it. The same as Miles Austin getting fired. He got fired for gambling on the NBA. Because you can't gamble on sports if you work in sports. It's just how it is. I personally currently gamble on sports, but we'll talk about maybe me potentially not being able to gamble on sports either coming up. So and it's it's a serious, serious situation. And I understand why the league reacted the way they did. All right, let's talk some NBA. 
The Knicks finished the first half on a three-game heater. Since I've spoken to my friend Jake Brown, if you didn't listen to that episode, go back to Wednesday's episode and listen. We did an hour on the Knicks, where they're headed, where they're going right now. It's super fun. The Knicks have been awesome. Jalen Brunson has been incredible. He's been sensational since the start of the new year. Really, he's come on and been absolutely insane. The numbers that this team is putting up right now is... I This Knicks team is really good, and I think they're actually better. This is a significantly better Knicks team than the Knicks team from a couple of years ago that was the four seed in the East. The roster's better. Jalen Brunson controlling things on the offensive end is better. There are so many factors that make this Knicks team better. This is a really talented Knicks team. They win a couple in a row, obviously. I think the addition of Josh Hart um, kind of adds an identity to this team. And Jalen Brunson, like I said, just what he's been doing of late is absolutely not normal. He's been on a tear. He's the best point guard this team has seen in so many years. And the chemistry is there. I don't know if you saw at the end of the game, Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson, rather, is getting interviewed after the game in Atlanta. But they just dismantled. They blew out the Hawks. Like, it's crazy. Somebody said the Knicks have been playing so so many close games. I forgot how crazy Tibbs is about not put, not emptying his bench at the end of the game. Like, they were up 20-something in that game. And he didn't empty the bench. But we didn't even remember that because they hadn't blown anyone out. And it feels like this feels like the turn that they had towards the end of the season in 2020-21 when they did uh when they were the four seed it feels like that kind of turnaround where all of a sudden they're starting to play really fun good basketball and everything's starting to come together uh in the right way and they're really taking care of teams that they should be taking care of um and taking care of business on the road they continue to be one of the best road teams in the league i think they're 17 and 13 on the road something like that uh this season in the nba um and it's exciting. It's exciting to watch if you're a Knicks fan and the chemistry is growing. You see how much these guys like each other. Jalen Brunson, like I said, was being interviewed after the game and Randall comes over to him and he texts him like, yo, Brunson. like they're all, they're having a good time. And Brunson's kind of like the dad, like taking control. Randall's kind of laughing on the, like you just see the personality of this team. Um, it's just different than it's ever been. I think Josh Hart adds to that. I think everyone knows their role. I don't think they're worried and, and fearful about being traded and stuff like that. You even see... Evan Fournier is laughing about stuff on Twitter. Like he doesn't get to play a lot, but he's still, um, you know, adding some sort of chemistry, some sort of bond to this team. And I think it's really important. I think that could help this team. Like I said, I think this team, and I was just talking about this on the, uh, on my friend's podcast, Ben Wasserman, who I went on. I think this team can be a five seed in the Eastern conference. And I think they have a real shot at beating the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs if they play the Cavs. If that's the 4-5 matchup, I think the Knicks can be the team that takes care of business and actually beats the Cavs in that series. That would be really fun to watch. Um, I don't think they have a shot against Milwaukee or Boston. I think maybe if they're the sixth seed, maybe they have a chance against Philly. You know how I feel about Philadelphia. I don't think Joel Embiid is a winner, per se. Um, but I like their odds against against Cleveland, and I think they could even beat... Uh, Philly, if they do fall out and they end up being a six, seven, eight seed and have to play in the play, and it would be fun if they played Brooklyn and then, you know, you got a Brooklyn against the Knicks playing game. That would be wild for New York sports. But um, yeah, I think I really love this Knicks team right now. Julius Randle also was announced that he's going to be in the three point contest. So the Renaissance year for Julius Randle just keeps going. Like, when's it going to be enough? This guy is now in the three-point contest. And by the way, just by the numbers, he's 11th in the league and made threes because he shoots a lot of threes and he shoots a high volume of everything. He's actually shooting 39% on threes on the road. So that's pretty good. 
Um, but he's 34% overall. He's not even in the top 50 in the league in three-point percentage. Jalen Brunson is ahead of him. Jalen Brunson is now at about 40% uh, shooting from three. It kind of reminds me when Nick Swisher was in the home run derby in 2010 and he just had a fun time with it. I think he swung and missed or foul tipped a pitch <laughs> back to the screen or something like that. He ended up hitting four home runs, only four home runs um, in the home run derby. But just tell Julius Randle it's the fourth, it's the first quarter because it seems like every game he comes out in the first quarter and knocks down two or three threes. Um, and if you tell him that, then I think he'll he'll be in the right mindset and he'll have fun with it. I, it's going to be fun to watch him just smiling and doing it. Tyrese Halliburton is in it also. And I kind of made a joke online where like, his release is so slow, he might not even get like all the way or halfway around uh, the the arc <laughs> to get to all the three-point shots. Uh, some other big names, Damian Lillard is a great three-point shooter. I think the best odds, if you want to gamble on it, I don't, I wouldn't because anyone, you don't know, it's an empty gym. Anyone could just hit threes. But the best odds, Randall has the worst odds. He's plus 950. But the second to worst odds, actually, um, the second to longest odds are for Tyler Hero at plus 800. So I feel like that's good value there because he's a, he's a good shooter, especially in an empty gym. Speaking of the All-Star game, the All-Star draft is coming up, and Adam Silver said they don't want to have a scenario where there's a last pick, quote-unquote, in the draft. So they're going to draft the uh, the reserves first and then draft the starter second, as if we couldn't just then know who the last reserve taken was and that becomes the last pick. Like, But it's just so funny to me that these multi-millionaire guys who play basketball for a living superstar athletes who are all in the all-star game there are, we talked about the snubs a couple episodes ago there are snubs in the all-star game so you guys are better than all those guys like it's okay to say and somebody said yeah De DeMar DeRozan's not as good as Giannis Antetokounmpo why can't we just be okay with that but um it's just how it is. It's weird. Um, it's funny that we can't step on these guys' egos. They're so sensitive that they need to. There can't be a last pick in the draft. I said my suggestion was just call it the Brock Purdy pick because then that's a compliment already. Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft, but I think uh, the way he, that went, it went pretty well. Um, also at the All Star Game this weekend, there's going to be a ceremony for LeBron James requested by LeBron James. LeBron James went to Adam Silver and said. I need you guys to honor me and my accomplishment at the All-Star game. And this is where it's just like puke LeBron. And LeBron, by the way, talking about, I saw him on an interview this week where he's like, I don't know, the last thing I am is selfish. I'm a great teammate. And I don't think he understands that, yes, on the floor he is, but off the floor, like we talked about, he's probably the worst teammate talking about trading guys behind their backs. And I'm not shocked. Russell Westbrook is still not on a team. He's not picked up. And it feels like this is a guy who was ruined by LeBron James and Anthony Davis is upset and he's not happy. I don't blame him either because LeBron tried to run him out of town two weeks ago to get Kevin Durant. And now you expect him to just be happy and buddy, buddy. This is what LeBron does. And it's part of why I just can't bring myself to love LeBron James. It kind of upsets me. Um, I wish he didn't, he wasn't like this because then he'd be one of the all time greats that you could just appreciate. I like appreciating greatness and it, he makes it so difficult to appreciate him. Okay. So another thing that's happening, obviously around the NBA, speaking of trading for KD, is Kevin Durant uh, and Kyrie Irving. It's all over. Kyrie is playing in Dallas, and we know how that went. We'll get to that in a second. Kevin Durant is officially, he was introduced in Phoenix, and I want to play a couple of clips from that as well coming up here in a second. But before, I do want to compare because everyone talks about what a disaster it was that the Nets ended up with Kyrie and KD and all the different things. The Nets had zero assets. They were gutted as an organization. They were 28 and 54 and going nowhere. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, with Kenny Atkinson the next season, they go 42 and 40. 
with a team made up of Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Theo Pinson, D'Angelo Russell. They had Damari Carroll on that team and Jared Dudley, who were kind of the older vets helping things along. And they were a fun team. They're only 42 and 40, but they were a really fun team. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving looked at that team and said, we want to go there. They didn't have to give up any assets to get them, just money. Um, And they signed them to free agent contracts. And now when they had to go, they had to get rid of them and all the things that happened in between. Think about where this Nets team is now. And you're not going to tell me that they're not in a better position today than they were before Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant showed up. Today they have Nick Claxton, Seth Curry, Wantanabe, Ben Simmons, who whatever he is, he says he doesn't know what his role is anymore in Brooklyn, but that's how deep their team is right now. Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, Cam Thomas, Michael Bridges, who I think is, I've been saying this, he could be a top 10 player in this league eventually. And then he puts up 40 points right after I said that. Dorian Finney-Smith and endless, endless draft picks, first and second rounders. They're actually in a prime position to go out and get a superstar right now. And to be a championship team, they're only about a superstar away. If they trade a bunch of those picks, maybe a couple of those assets for a superstar, if they sign someone else in free agency, the Nets franchise today, what they did and what Sean Marks has been able to do. And look, I hate the Nets. I love the Knicks. We know about this. I meant I started this podcast talking about how I might, as a troll, get a Kevin Durant Nets jersey. But what the Nets franchise has been able to do, the turnaround, if you think about where they were four years ago before they signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and then throughout the, that year, that hellish era, the three-year era or four-year, whatever it was, hellish era of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the fact that they've gotten themselves into this position, a much better position than they were, even before these guys showed up, is a major credit to this franchise and what they were able to do because they are in a prime position that they're one or two pieces away. Michael Bridges could be a superstar. They turned down four first-round picks for Bridges. He could be a superstar. He could be one of the best players in the league in the face of that franchise moving forward. Now, I truly believe that. And if you get a point guard there with him or maybe a, a, something else, this can be one of those teams. Maybe they get Anthony Davis. Whatever it is, this team can be a major player for years to come the way the franchise is currently set up and built. And just an off-the-charts, incredible, awesome job um, by the Brooklyn Nets. Now, on the other side, there's Kevin Durant. He's in Phoenix, obviously, with Chris Paul with Devin Booker, with DeAndre Ayton. It's win now. They lose last night. I saw um, the Clippers posted. They put out a thing. It said, don't worry, help is on the way, something like that, which is kind of funny. Um, it's true, though. Help is on the way. Kevin Durant is here. And Kevin Durant was introduced to Phoenix. I think it's win or bust, like championship or bust, actually championship or bust for the Phoenix Suns. And Kevin Durant was introduced to the Phoenix Suns organization. They had an introductory. It was weird. They had like fans there, um, but they had an introductory press conference um, talking about his time in Brooklyn and talking about him, what he plans on doing here uh, in Phoenix. But after Kyrie Irving talked the way he talked about how it was such a terrible, you know, poorly ran crap show organization um, in Brooklyn and the way he just is happy Kevin Durant could get out. And people speculated also did. Kevin Durant know that Kyrie Irving, what was going on with Kyrie Irving. Like that was his guy. Yeah, that was the guy they decided to go there together. And with all these different things that were happening behind the scenes, did Kevin Durant know when Kyrie Irving was opting out? Did Kevin Durant know when Kyrie Irving was just sitting out of games? Did Kevin Durant know when Kyrie Irving was ultimately asked 
for a trade? Did he know what was going on? Like, is Kyrie Irving like this great friend and this great dude who was filling in the guy that they made a commitment to each other and together to Brooklyn? Did Was Kyrie Irving telling him about this stuff? And what does Kevin Durant have to say about his experience in Brooklyn? It was very, very different than when Kyrie had to say. Take a listen. It was a lot of ups and downs, but I loved the grind. So, and everybody in Brooklyn loved the grind too. So I built a family over there. They're going to always be a part of my journey. Uh, so we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish as far as winning a championship, just like I told him. But I enjoyed the grind. And everybody there, we tried our hardest every day, regardless of what was going on in the media, what was going on with our teammates. Everybody who was in that gym, we grinded. So I love those guys. I get emotional to talk about them because that was a special four years of my career coming off of Achilles. And they helped me through a lot. So. So, yeah, it was terrible how some stuff went down, but at the end of the day, I love the grind. And we all love the grind there in Brooklyn, and I wish them the best going forward. They got a bright future. As you look back on that time, I know how much you guys wanted to win a title. Why don't you think it worked there for you guys together? We just didn't get on the court enough. I think when you seen James, Kyrie, and myself, it was, it was amazing basketball for 17 games, though. <laughs> But you need, in order for you to win a championship and to be a great team, you just need more time on the floor. We could, it's another story about why we didn't get on the floor together, but we just didn't get enough time on the floor. And um, those are Hall of Fame players that I learned a lot from every day. And I'm wishing them the best as well. Uh, it just didn't work out. I want to know, what was your reaction to Kyrie's trade request? Is there any part of you disappointed that you couldn't have finished what you started? Yeah, I was upset that we couldn't finish. I thought we would have some good momentum. We were um, finally building the culture that we always wanted. Um, I felt like every game we were building our chemistry. Um, but I didn't know what was going on with Kyrie and his situation with the organization. So I didn't really focus on that. I only focused on what we were doing on the court. And uh, it was a blow to our team. It, it just took away our identity. He was a huge, huge part of what we do. Uh, his game, he's a Hall of Fame player, a great, great player that can do everything on the floor, and we relied on that. So without him, we didn't have a clear identity. So that was tough for me to stomach, and, and I love playing with those guys throughout the year. I felt like we had dudes that were stepping up and doing stuff that they didn't do on their previous team. So I enjoyed everything about it, and it was tough to not finish the season, but, um, you know, I just tried to move forward as quickly as I can and try to figure something out for myself, but also still focus on trying to rehab and get back. So it all happened so fast, but I'm glad it worked out this way. Yeah. Again, Kyrie Irving is on an island. And I appreciate Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has always been honest and, and very real. And that's kind of what I appreciate about Kevin Durant. And what he said right there kind of tells you, kind of throws Kyrie under the bus a little bit, but kind of tells you what was actually going on in Brooklyn. It was Kyrie just driving everyone insane. And eventually Kevin Durant had no idea what was going on. And eventually he went to the organization, whether it was in the summer, he said, I can't deal with this guy anymore. I need to get out. Or whether it was now after he was gone, I was like, all right, I'm sorry. It didn't work. I wish it could have worked. But I, and Kevin Durant did everything. Even he heard him say is like, whatever the reason was that we couldn't get on the court, almost another diss at Kyrie Irving. Um, he's like, that's another story. But now he has a chance to start over. And like I said, the Brooklyn Nets organization has a chance to start over. Meanwhile, then there's Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks and Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, two of the most talented players in the NBA. But I, I've said this, they're not 
winning players. And I'm going to be curious to see how this transpires, to see how this continues. Because in the last game that both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic played, they lose to the Mavericks. Irving puts up 36. Luka puts up 33. Everything's great. And then how do they lose? They didn't get a shot off on the last possession because they're playing hot potato with the ball because they're so unused to having to share it. Yeah, when one guy's doing his one-on-one thing, it looks fantastic. Luka crossing guys up, doing his stuff. Kyrie doing the same. They are two of the greatest one-on-one players of all time in basketball. But when it comes to being a winning, cohesive team, those guys are never going to win together. And so that that game against Minnesota, to me, was the perfect, was the epitome of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. They lose 124 to 121. They're going to put up a ton of points. They're not going to play defense. They're not going to be able to involve their teammates. And in a seven-game series, they might end up losing in the first round to whoever they play just because of how this team plays and how they play a non-cohesive, non-together brand of basketball. I don't think that's winning basketball. The team that I do think is winning basketball, and we'll shift back to the Eastern Conference for this one, is the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have won 12 consecutive games. They're now a half game out of first place with Boston. They beat Boston the other night um, in overtime with no dudes, obviously. Boston didn't have, um, I think, Brown sat. I think Smart sat. Obviously, Tatum sat. So still, it doesn't really matter because I forget who says this, but there was one coach who says, I'd rather you play all your guys than play none of them because I know then my guys will get up for the game. Giannis was averaging 37, 13, and 7 in February, but then sprains his wrist only nine minutes into last night's game. They still get the win on TNT uh, last night against the Chicago Bulls, who seemed broken. The final score was only a 12-point game, but it felt like it could have been much worse. They were up by 20 at one point in that game. Brooke Lopez took over, had 33 points in that game at 15 in the first quarter. Um, And in that game, they emptied out the entire bench. They didn't even need to play that hard. So I don't know what's going to happen. A sprain wrist for Giannis not only killed all my bets last night because I had Giannis in every bet, but it also kills um, potentially what they can be doing going forward for the Milwaukee Bucks because I do think they are the hottest team in the NBA right now, obviously, but I think they're one of the best teams. And Drew Holiday, what he did at the end of that Boston game, tells you everything you need to know. Drew Holiday is an all-star. People were comparing his stats to Jalen Brunson's stats and saying, how is Drew Holiday an all-star? I'm the biggest Knicks fan out there. I love Jalen Brunson. And I think Jalen Brunson should be an all-star. But not over Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is team gel. He's the epitome of team player. He scores when you need him to. His defense is he's the best defender, the best perimeter defender in the NBA today. He sets up his teammates perfectly. He's always just knows exactly what to do. He's a hustle player, dives on the floor. He's not a statistics player. He's one of those players where the statistics can sometimes be deceiving because he's just that good. He's an all-star. He's definitely an all-star for this Milwaukee Bucks team. And they're my favorite again. If you you had to ask me today, gun to my head, who's winning the NBA Finals, I would take the Milwaukee Bucks. I hope that Giannis comes back and is healthy. But until then, everyone enjoy the all-star game, all-star weekend this weekend. If you watch, if you enjoy, I like to don't take it too seriously. I like to have fun with it. People, so many people complain. Oh, the All Star Game isn't good anymore. The Home Run Derby isn't good anymore. The Slam Dunk Contest isn't good. The Three Point Contest, all those things. Just have fun, enjoy it. That's what I'm gonna do. Until then, until next time, we'll talk to you guys. We'll recap it all. Uh, I guess after this weekend on Monday. Until then, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You. 
got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it all oh, oh, Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a soaked out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding.